Hello and welcome to Oddments. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This week we'll be exploring an unusual way of singing, sounds from outer space, not a man from not Peking, magic sharks in Detroit, and a little bit of Willy Wonka. Richard Feynman could be called the poster child for curiosity. One of his many quotable sayings is this, Nobody ever figures out what life is all about, and it doesn't matter. Explore the world. Nearly everything is really interesting if you go into it deeply enough. One of the seemingly uninteresting things was the country of Tuanatuva, which many thought Feynman had made up as one of his practical jokes. In fact, the tiny country exists in Feynman's lifetime as a Soviet republic. In his later days, Feynman was fascinated with trying to get to this mostly inaccessible country, and though he was unsuccessful in the end, his daughter did complete the journey for him in 2009. If you've heard of Tuva, it's likely for one reason. They have a form of singing which generates two different tones at once. Thanks to the voice of Alfonso Perez and a recording by freesound.org user Bram, we can share some with you. It sounds like this. <clears throat> It's called throat singing, and the concept is that while the vocal cords are producing a droning note, the mouth and throat can be shaped dynamically to produce a harmonic. In skillful persons, this can be done to such a degree that a melody is formed. It's not unlike turning oneself into human bagpipes. <laughs> Perhaps the best-known practitioner of this art was Konga Ol Ondar. His name means loud boy, and he was proficient in three different forms of throat singing. He came to fame in the Western world when legendary bluesman and self-taught throat singer Paul Pena traveled to Tuva to learn about the culture and perform with masters such as Ondar. But it was a long journey. Pena suffered from a congenital condition that left him blind by age 20. A relentlessly curious man, he was attempting to learn Korean from a shortwave radio broadcast, when one day, while searching for the program, he found a recording of Tuvan throat singing from Radio Moscow. He was enchanted and continued to learn more about throat singing over the years, even going so far as to teach himself the Tuvan language. There were no Tuvan to English dictionaries available, but there was a Tuvan to Russian dictionary. Pena took the time to translate from Tuvan to Russian to English. Did we mention that he was blind? Each page had to be scanned by an opticon, which turned the printed words into something tactile like Braille in real time. Paul Pena's trip to Tuva introduced the tiny country, now an independent republic, to the rest of the world. His collaboration with Konda Olandar introduced him to new audiences, and Ondar traveled to the West and even appeared on Letterman. Though he died of a brain hemorrhage in 2013, his recordings persist and are available commercially. Here's a clip of him singing to a Western accompaniment.
Should you wish to learn throat singing, be warned. It causes injury to throat tissues, and in some cases, these can lead to cancer. The documentary Genghis Blues is available on many streaming services. The sounds you just heard were captured by the Voyager 1 spacecraft in 2012 and 2013. They're thought to be caused by ionized gas vibrating in interstellar space. What's interesting about this recording is that it's actually six months worth of recording compressed into just a few seconds. If you were to listen to it in real time, you wouldn't hear much at all. Scientists use data like this to learn more about the universe, and in this case they believe the sound demonstrates the increasing density of a plasma cloud. If you're wondering how you can hear sound in space, rest assured that there is a cloud of gas producing this sound, and it's being interpreted by the instruments aboard Voyager 1. On Voyager's homepage, you can see the distance of Voyager from Earth. At the time of this recording, Voyager 1 was nearly 19 billion kilometers from Earth. However, due to celestial mechanics, Voyager 1 is actually closer to Earth than it was a few days ago. This is simply because the Earth moves around the Sun faster than Voyager moves away from it. Voyager 1 is now in interstellar space, being the first man-made object to leave our solar system. It is in its 36th year of exploration. In 1923, some fossils were discovered near Peking, China. Peking is the Romanized form of the word Beijing, which is how we refer to the region today. But the fossils will forever be known as belonging to Peking Man. Peking Man is not one person, but refers to a group of people who lived near Beijing as much as 780,000 years ago. During a 1921 expedition, Swedish geologist Johan Gunnar Andersson discovered quartz that was not normally found in the area. He immediately surmised that a primitive people must have been using quartz for tools, and his team set about digging for more evidence. They soon found a human molar, and in subsequent expeditions unearthed several more teeth and many cranial fragments. The idea of Homo erectus, an earlier form of human, had been proposed as early as 1891, based on fossils found in Java. These fossils were dismissed as belonging to a deformed ape. You having a laugh? But with the discovery of ancient fossils and evidence of tool-making at Beijing, the scientific community concluded that there were indeed humans that existed before us who were capable of making tools. This caused a flurry of new research into the evolution of humans, much of which was stopped by the de-evolution of humans in the form of World War II. In an effort to protect Peking man specimens, they were sent to northern China in 1941 under U.S. protection. And here the mystery begins. They have vanished. Speculation runs rampant and some believe the bones were ground up for use in Chinese medicine. But there is a lead that may put an end to the mystery. The Awamaru. A Japanese passenger ship that also carried cargo, the Awamaru was in port during the last known sighting of Peking Man in Singapore. The Awamaru, though a Japanese ship, was granted safe passage by the United States as she was unarmed and served as a Red Cross ship delivering supplies to American POWs in Japanese captivity. 
The submarine USS Queenfish encountered the Awamaru on April 1, 1945, in heavy fog. The Queenfish thought they had encountered a destroyer and torpedoed her, resulting in the loss of the cargo and most of the crew. A great controversy ensued, leading to a court-martial for the captain of the Queenfish and speculation that the Awamaru, which was not following its original course, was actually carrying treasure and gold. When her wreck was found in 1977, nearly $100 million was spent by the Chinese government in trying to locate the treasure. But none was ever found. Nor was found Peking Man, though there are several excellent casts and a few teeth available for researchers to study. In July of 2005, the Chinese created a committee to find the bones, but so far, nothing has turned up. Detroit has fallen on tough times, but during its heyday, it was the center of American industry. And though one associates Detroit with automobiles, one man was responsible for much of the architecture during this period, German-born Albert Kahn. His work would provide buildings for much of the American war effort in World War II, as well as for private industry. Henry Ford alone gave him more than 1,000 commissions for factories and showrooms throughout the U.S. He also designed the Belle Isle Aquarium, which was for a time the oldest continually operating aquarium in the United States. Consisting of a single arched gallery decorated in green tile, the ambiance is designed to make you feel like you're actually underwater. Though tiny by today's standards, the aquarium is finely appointed and was one of only few aquariums located far from the ocean. During Prohibition, the basement of the aquarium served as a speakeasy for those in the know. In later years, it was used to house larger fish that wouldn't fit in the main gallery. Their activities were broadcast on closed-circuit television to visitors on the upper floor. In 2002, something truly remarkable took place in one of the 60 exhibits. In a display that held bamboo sharks, eggs were discovered. White-spotted bamboo sharks are small sharks that patrol the seabed looking for crabs and unwary fish. They lay eggs in the form of little translucent purses. Like most vertebrates, sharks reproduce sexually, meaning that a male and female shark have to mate in order to produce offspring. However, there were only female sharks in this exhibit, and none of the sharks had been near a male in at least six years. So while there was amazement at the egg cases, there was even more amazement when they hatched and produced live baby sharks. In some species, females can produce offspring without the involvement of a male. This process is known as parthenogenesis, and while it's common in a few species of lizard, it has never been observed in this species of shark before, despite it being a common aquarium pet. Today this remarkable aquarium is only open on Saturdays, but if you're in Detroit, it would be well worth a visit. Wonka, butter scotch, butter gin. Got something going on this side of it. Candy is dandy, but liquor is quicker. And thus Gene Wilder, in the guise of Willy Wonka, has recited the entirety of Ogden Nash's poem, Reflections on Icebreaking, written in 1931. It typifies Nash's style of quick, rhyming humor, which not infrequently involved references to alcohol, 
Another popular work of his was A Drink with Something in It, which is as follows. There is something about a martini, a tingle remarkably pleasant, a yellow, a mellow martini, I wish I had one at present. There is something about a martini, ere the dining and dancing begin, and to tell you the truth, it's not the vermouth, I think that perhaps it's the gin. And with that, we conclude another episode of Oddments. Thank you very much for listening, and you'll find show notes and other similar podcasts at collegeofcuriosity.com.